It's funny. The last time I think we all got together was for the uh, Squadron Showdown. I kept calling you. I kept calling Liv Liz, <laughs> and um, Lauren kept correcting me. But it's funny because I know a Dave and Liz, and that's why I subconsciously insert Liz into your name. But curiously enough, they also have a uh, podcast, but their theirs is called Parsecs and Pizza. So I'm really confused. <laughs> Oh, what a coincidence. What a coincidence, yeah. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Good science fiction makes you think. Great science fiction makes you act. From the earliest stories of the fantastic like Frankenstein to Metropolis, right down to the modern sci-fi Star Trek. Planet of the Apes, films like Gattaca, Blade Runner, Twilight Zone. The list is endless of the types of science fiction that is an allegory to the times. These fantastic films and television shows hold up a mirror to our own society and help teach us that we must continue to discuss topics that may make us feel uncomfortable, troubled, and enraged. Join Roe and special guest podcasters Dave and Liv from Pizza and Parsecs, for today's discussion on social issues in science fiction. That's today's episode on the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. Stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. What's up, Scuttle Buddies? Thank you for joining us on another Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. We've got a special show, but uh, before we start... I just want to remind everybody, if you are finding us for the first time, thank you for tuning in and listening to the Scare of Podcast. I am Ro, one-third of the Scuttle Buddies, and uh, like I said, we've got a great show tonight. We have our friends from the Red 5 Network, Dave and Liv from Pizza and Parsecs. Guys, how's it going over there? Going pretty well. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Very grateful to be here with another member of our Red Five family. Founding father, if you will. Founding father. Oh yeah, that's uh quite that's a lot of pressure there. But uh yeah, we uh we've been having fun with this Red Five network. Uh you know, all the fun things that everybody is doing. Uh I am uh in awe and humbled at uh the great support that not only our members but a lot of our fan community uh we've done a lot of, you know, uh, I guess cross promotion between all of the podcast, and it has been phenomenal. I think it's been a lot of fun for everybody, don't you think? Absolutely. That's one of the most remarkable things about this. And, you know, not just Red 5, but this podcasting community on that we have on Twitter. It's just how supportive it is and have just been very, I mean, the, I use grateful a lot, but just very grateful to be part of this family that is also all about supporting and empowering other shows and great place to share ideas and collaborate with. Absolutely. Amen. Uh, I, I can't say, I, I can't say that enough. I really, like I said, I'm, I'm humbled at the support and I do see that uh, everyone is very supportive. We want to try to stay positive, honest to ourselves and uh, continue to grow uh, our network through Positive content, great content, and uh, just having a lot of fun. For sure. And Ro, would you say that things always, we like to keep things sunny? 
we definitely like to keep things sunny. Sometimes things are shady on Scarif, but that's another <laughs> podcast. Um, but uh, definitely, you know, we're, we're just having fun. Uh, you know, uh, we got our blasters and our sunscreen, as the uh, open says. Folks that are not familiar with Pizza and Parsecs, uh, tell us a little bit about what you guys do and where you can be found. So we are a geek pod. I'm Dave. And I'm, I'm Liv. And we're an engaged couple getting married here towards the end of the year. 101 days. (laughs) Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Super fired up about it. And one of the foundational elements of what makes us work really well together is our mutual love of all things geek and nerd. And that ranges from you know, the DC universe to Star Wars to Harry Potter. And it's just been a really fun time exploring all of these different properties with each other and getting to know them more. And through that, getting to know the things that we both love more. For example, like Liv is basically an encyclopedia with Harry Potter. You say that and then I like get fearful someone's going to ask me a very tough question. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we get to learn more about that, um, or I get to learn more about that and this property that she loves. And then same thing with some aspects of Star Wars. She's she's always loved the movies. And then through our podcast, we got to explore uh, Clone Wars, which was, is a property and franchise that I love dearly. And that's been absolutely awesome. And generally just love this whole creating something together and building something together and getting to know these other podcasts that are out there and making internet friends. We love internet friends, Ro. We love them. That's, that's great. You know, uh, my mom has, uh, always told me not to meet strangers on the internet, but, uh, I am, uh, throwing that out the window and I've met a lot of strangers on the internet that have become really great friends and, uh, to hell with mom's advice. <laughs> I got the same advice and now my mom's excited that I have internet friends. That yeah, that is awesome. That is awesome. So uh I uh was listening to one of your latest podcasts and uh, we are recording this uh tonight uh, on the day of the uh, fateful announcement, unfortunately, that Star Wars Celebration Anah- Anaheim has been uh, canceled, and uh, we won't get another celebration for another, what, two years, year and a half-ish, kind of. Um, but uh, one of your latest episodes, I know you guys had the gals of the Galactic Podcast. Tell, tell me a little bit about that uh, conversation. You're elbowing me, and I'm like, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Great it was, gals. It was super, uh, super cool, because we got to dissect... Revenge of the Sith. Um, Dave and I are going through all of the Star Wars movies and then picking several like Clone Wars arcs. And then we'll probably do some um, Rebels arcs and different aspects of Rebels. But we're going through all of the main movies and dissecting them. And we got to have the gals on for that. And it was it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I heard uh, I heard that the other day. And uh you know, it's funny when I listen to other people's podcasts. It's obviously it's like you're having a conversation and they're um, they're talking to you. Uh, there's a couple of times towards the end there, you guys were talking about Anakin and and uh, 
and actually Ezra uh, during the Rebels, and I started like like agreeing with you guys, but vocally and and yelling at the radio and saying yes, no, I, I agree. And it's it's funny you want you want people to answer you, so I, I'm glad that I actually have you guys on because now I can yell into the microphone and you guys can actually answer me. <laughs> what a wonderful opportunity what for a, us! What? Thank you. <laughs> but. Uh, I'm sitting here with the biggest smile because I do the same thing with podcasts um, yeah. of a wide variety and will laugh out loud and answer them. And always thought in the back of my head was like, hmm, it would be cool if like someone did that during our podcast. And now knowing someone did that with our podcast is making me nerd out sure. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's great. Like I said, you know, I, I listen to uh, a lot of, uh, you know, our member podcasts and, you know, it's just like hanging out and, uh, you know, talking geek stuff, uh, Star Wars. Uh, I just listened to uh, Force of Light uh, Entertainment. They're talking about uh, The Dark Knight and uh, obviously one of the films that was uh, shot here in Chicago. A lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. So what do you guys, uh, Dave, you were telling me about uh, your love for The Clone Wars um, just briefly, what'd you think of that last, uh, that last episode? Wow. <laughs> That's my one word answer for that. Um, but yeah, it, I thought it was absolutely chilling it, the way that they executed that final arc was so deep and profound and the way that it intertwined with revenge of the Sith really added just so much more meaning not only to those last four episodes but also the revenge of the sith uh, i remember watching revenge of the sith with live here uh not too long after the finale occurred and it, you know it you just look at it in such a different light and i loved the the, the very final scene that we get, you know, with you have Ahsoka in front of all the clones and Rex behind her. And then she symbolically drops, uh, she symbolically and literally drops her lightsaber and, you know, leaving that life behind and bidding it farewell and bidding a big piece of bidding a big part of her farewell. And it was just so, such a moving moment. And then you have, you know, the Darth Vader and the final cut there. Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> that that yeah that that gave me chills. I, anytime I see Darth Vader on the screen, I just, I you know, my jaw drops. So yes, I didn't know we were gonna get him because uh, you know we see him in Rebels, and then you you have this fast forward scene, and the second we started seeing. Uh, for lack of a better term, the more modern, the modern stormtroopers in there, and you see them, and I, I started to get chills right then and there. Yeah. You know, hopeful that we might get to see Darth Vader himself, and when he came up, and then what they did with him. That was just icing on the cake. You have the um, I can't remember the the species of the bird, but it's the same one as the Mor as Morai flying overhead. The, and the what's it called? The convoy. The convoy. That's right. 
you have those moments and then there's just so much to unpack with that and those scenes don't last long right it's maybe 15 seconds that la that final shot of vader with the yeah. lightsaber and the and the and the convoy but there's so much underneath all of that and then you have Kevin Kiner's operatic and symphonic score that really drives a point home on top of that. It is just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's one of those things. Uh, I think Darth Vader is one of those characters that uh, the less you see, the more excited you get. And people always ask me, wouldn't you want a standalone Darth Vader movie? And, you know, right away I would say yes, but then, you know, you kind of think about it and uh, maybe the answer is no. Uh, I don't want, he's the type of character that I don't want diluted, um, uh, you know, as far as like the more you see, the, the less impact he has. So, you know, Darth Vader was brought in for Rogue One, that final scene, which was genius and... I kind of think the more he kind of stays in the background, the the better it'll be, at least for me. That's that's what my feeling is. I don't know what you thought. I completely agree. I do love the backstories that we get with like Dark Lord of the Sith, uh, with the comics and whatnot. But in some ways, I liken Darth Vader to Michael Myers in the Halloween series. Oh, yeah. And the power behind an antagonist like that is the lack of explanation that you get for it. And there's an inherent fear of that unknown behind it. And with this, even with the scenes without Darth Vader in it, you're wondering, where's Darth Vader? Right. <laughs> What's he doing? What's he up to? Yeah, you know he's around. All right, guys, before we start on our main topic, and this is a good one, uh, we've got an audio clip that was submitted by Andrew and Marisha over at Coruscant Radio Underground. Oh, awesome. Cool. Another one of our Red 5 family. Let's take a listen to what they have to say about our topic tonight, because uh, they are all about science fiction, and who else? Uh, I, I figure that they are experts on the, the subject, but uh, let's take a listen and see what they have to say. We'll hit you back on the return. Greetings, Star Wars fans. This is Andrew from Coruscant Radio Underground. You're listening to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. What's going on, Scarif? This is Andrew. And Marisha. From Coruscant Radio Underground. And Rose sent us over a question and asked us about social issues in sci-fi. And... Of course, that fits right along with what we've been doing with kind of digging into the pillars of sci-fi, and we've kind of talked it over, and I, I think we both agree that that addressing social issues goes back to the, the core of what science fiction is all about. I mean, yeah, I think you're definitely right. I, I recently made an argument that you can date science fiction all the way back to the publication of Frankenstein in like, what, 1814 or something ridiculously long ago? The thing is, is it doesn't just, you know, when we talk about the social issues, of course, no, nothing has ever had an impact. No science fiction has ever had an impact on the world the way Star Trek did. Right. That was continued. The, the spirit of the original Star Trek continued on in things like Sliders, 
and Stargate mm-hmm. and, and all these other shows that, that really adopted the spirit of what Roddenberry did with the original Star Trek. Right. Um, and, and now we see that in, I, I'm, I'm going to honestly say, I don't think Star Trek does that all that well anymore. Right. Um, well, so they, they like to address issues, but I think that the best thing that Star Trek did in the early days, and maybe they've kind of fallen away from, was presenting issues, but not necessarily giving you the right answer. True. Um, and, and I think that's kind of been the beauty of science fiction. It's what the the Orville does very well. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Ro, I know, I know you couldn't get into the Orville, but uh, one of the things that they have done well with the Orville is addressing social, doing social commentary, but presenting it through a window where you're just looking at it. They're not giving you, they're not telling you to think this way. They're presenting you this picture. This is, this is an issue. This is problematic, potentially. Think about it. Right. And I think that's one of the things that there have been some iterations of Star Trek that I really didn't like as well. The ones that I have not liked as well have been the preachy versions. The ones that got heavy-handed. Where they didn't just present a quandary, and but they, they gave a very clear, and this is the right answer. And not that, I mean, not that Roddenberry wasn't above doing that. I mean, he certainly was. No, I was. mean, that certainly exists in all forms of it, but... And I think it's what you're talking about. It's not it's not heavy-handed, overbearing, preachy, necessarily, as much as it's it's just presenting a window into our world from a different perspective. Well, and I think that, you know, the best sci-fi, things like Star Trek or Star Wars or Firefly, they present a, a lens that you can look through and you can see a lot of different issues, but... Most people tend to identify themselves, whatever their position is, with the heroes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people like, you're so stupid. Can't you tell that Star Wars means this? Can't you tell that Star Trek means that? It's like, well, yeah, from your point of view, it obviously does. But you have two people on completely opposite ideological spectrums that think that they're the rebels and the other side is the empire. Right. And I think what that tells us is that we're not all so far apart. And I think that's true. That we we latch on to these, we fight over these more extreme ideas. But in in truth, we're all here. We're all sharing this planet together. Mm-hmm. And most people, I won't say all, because I never say all when I talk about people, because <laughs> that's not how people work. But most people are ultimately on the same side, that we see things a little differently. But that's why, I mean, yes, everybody embraces, when you look at Firefly, people across the political spectrum will embrace Malcolm Reynolds, Mm -hmm. even though Malcolm Reynolds is about as libertarian of a character as we've we've ever had, maybe, in science fiction. Yep, but your your super conservatives and your super liberals all think that Malcolm Reynolds is them. Fighting against the Empire. The Empire, right. We just all disagree on who the Empire is. So, yeah, I don't think that there's any way to discount the impact that science fiction has had on the world because of social commentary. Mm -hmm. And I I think that it's important that it continues to do so. 
I think it's one of the best ways for us to learn to look at the world from a different perspective. Because it takes us out, directly exactly. out of the situation, and allows us to view things from another point of view. Exactly. And I mean, um, Rod Sterling, the corporations didn't like what he had to say, and so he decided to write sci-fi so he could say it in a more roundabout way. And I mean, isn't that isn't that the best thing about sci-fi is that we can still say our piece, but maybe we can actually get people to listen. Yeah, and of course, yeah, we, we definitely shouldn't leave this conversation without mentioning The Twilight Zone and social commentary. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you've never watched The Twilight Zone, you owe it to yourself. But anyway, I think we probably have taken up enough of your time. And uh, thank you so much, Scara, for having us on to, to make some comments here and about, about some of the things that we love about science fiction. And that's a scuttlebutt. Thank you, Andrew and Marisha over at Coruscant Radio Underground. If you are unfamiliar with their podcast, please look them up. They also run the sciencefictionary.com. You can check them out where they talk about everything sci-fi under the sun. Besides Star Wars, they talk a little Lord of the Rings, a little Star Trek, a little bit of everything. So check them out. They are another member of our Red 5 family. So getting to our main topic, guys, uh, you know, sometimes social issues creep into modern pop culture through character motivations, plot devices, or straight up real world uh, versus fantasy comparison for years. Authors and creators have snuck in social issues into their work, and some may argue that good sci-fi not only entertains you, but makes you think. I don't know what you guys think about that, but uh, fans of the original Star Trek are no strangers to enjoying that five-year mission while dissecting the social issues of that time. Uh, are you guys big Star Trek fans as well? I am. I definitely am, for sure. <laughs> And, you know, uh, when coming up uh, with this topic, obviously a lot of elements from Star Trek, the original series, came to mind, um, uh, like the interracial kiss, the uh, episode um, where the uh, people were half black, half white. Can't remember the name of that one. But uh, what are some of the other sci-fi films or TV shows that come to mind that kind of, you know, play on uh, social issues uh, in sci-fi or fantasy? Can you guys think of any? Yeah, so, you know, exploring these issues in sci-fi has been around for a long time. And real quick, I just want to call out one from a long time ago, and that's uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm. Um, and they use that as a critique on the mindset in the Victorian age. You know, this quintessential virtue presented in public. And then these vices, this monster comes out in private. And I thought that was one of the first things that I thought about. And then from another historical perspective, you have something like Metropolis. 1927 uh, film from Fritz Lang, German director. And what this film really did was it gives you a, an insight into what Germany looked like in post-World War I. When you look at that, you know, Germany was defeated. They had to sign the Treaty of Versailles. They had to pay these war reparations, and they had to cede this land. And unemployment was exceedingly high even before the war. And then after the war, much, much worse. And while the upper class in this case was left mostly unaffected, the class structures became significantly more pronounced. 
with the lower classes. There was a significant imbalance of class. And with Metropolis, as the viewer, it gives you this holistic view of that imbalance of class. The workers underground, symbolic to their class, basically powering the beautiful and innovative Metropolis. And the elite in this and the wealthy symbolically and figuratively live on the working class. And the working class are basically exploited and are servants to the elite in this movie. So from a, you know, looking at these films from this time, it is just really interesting to see how far back this really goes. Trek itself in the 1960s did so much in this area, truly groundbreaking stuff in this area in a lot of ways. You know, you think of the original series. First thing I think of is bringing an African-American woman on the bridge, this position of power during the civil rights movement. And the importance of this cannot be understated. What it does and, you know, having that representation, it normalizes the, it normalizes what, this, you know, seeing this African-American woman in a position of power, it's taking a step towards normalizing that, getting people used to that. And at one point, Nichelle Nichols was actually thinking about not doing the original series anymore, talking about quitting. And she actually had a conversation with Martin Luther King about this. And I love this quote from Martin Luther King. Images are so important. You cannot leave the show. You have the you have the first non-stereotypical role in television what we see is what we're supposed to be for the first time the world sees us as we're supposed to be seen as qualified beautiful intelligent people and that really just reinforces this idea of you know th- these marginalized genders and races and people in film and tv and really articulates the importance of that. And Martin Luther King obviously saw this as a huge opportunity for the civil rights movement. Sure. Yeah. And at at one point, you know, also, you know, as part of the bridge crew, you had a Russian on board who was driving the ship. So it's, it's, uh, you know, they, they broke a lot of ground. Nuclear vessels. What's great about Chekhov too is Mostly in cinema and TV, you see the stereotypical Russian role as a villain. And then you have Chekhov, who has a very boyish charm to him. And it really subverts your expectations of what you're seeing in a Russian character and presents this new idea. Same thing with having George, uh, same thing with having George Takei on the bridge as well. Sure. Japanese American. It, it's just amazing stuff and it's not just something that we see in the original series like having these groundbreaking moments is something that we continue to see throughout the entire star trek franchise i think about a particular episode in next generation called the outcast and trek before i go into this one trek really has a way of introducing new species new cultures and demystifying them 
and really addressing how you explore them. And in the outcast, we meet this androgynous species known as the Janai. As an androgynous species, if they identify with a gender, they're thought of as possessing a mental illness and requiring treatment. They're looked down upon. And in this episode, you have one of the main Janai, Soren, who falls in love with the first officer of the Enterprise, Riker. And in this, she's actually forced to undergo treatment and is brainwashed into adopting the normative androgynous identity. And what's interesting about this episode is it really subverts and inverts our expectation when addressing homosexuality. As a viewer, we're put in this position where we are forced to see the plight of the deviant, quote unquote, orientation. And we find ourselves empathizing with Soren. And while at the time this was an episode that mostly was speaking to the homosexual community, watching it through a 2020 LGBTQ plus lens, I still think it holds up and parallels that in a very effective way. Well, you know, things like that are very interesting. Obviously, uh, sci-fi has been doing it for a long time, but it's almost like, um, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, we it seems like we're still struggling with a lot of these things, a lot of these issues in modern times, even in 2020, let alone the 1960s. I want to say there's less of that type of sci-fi that kind of brings social issues to, to bear. Um, you know, back, like you said, back in the 60s, in the 70s, you had shows like Star Trek, the original series. You had uh, films that go way back, um, as you mentioned, Metropolis. Why is sci-fi such a good way to examine these topics? I have an interesting perspective on this, uh, or at least I think so. Let's take a step back real quick and define what sci-fi really is. Sci-fi is a sort of speculative work based on these futuristic concepts. You know, these technological advances often and frequently accompanied by social and environmental changes presenting this fantastical world, this new vision. Let's now define what it, social change really is. Social change is when you're imaging and visioning a new world that's different from our own. You bring in these new and innovative ideas. To me, when I look at these two side by side, I don't see a whole lot of difference. I think it's in and of itself, its own brand of science fiction that just hasn't happened yet. So that's that's kind of my general perspective on it. And there's a lot of ways that I think science fiction does this really well. Talked about before, about representation and bringing in new species and normalizing new species that we see. Uh, as a metaphor for marginalized genders, cultures, races, and puts them in positions of power, innovators, hero roles. With sci-fi, you don't have boundaries. You have all these ideas and you innovate the context behind them. You're not limited by real world. The, you're not limited by the confines of the real world. You can come up with your own ideas and theories. 
I see sci-fi and social change as one and almost one and the same in that regard. I agree. There's so many. Um, uh, let's get back to it. Let's get back a little bit to the original, uh, the original um, Star Trek. You know, you had uh, story elements that uh, were obviously part of the show. You had an African American bridge officer. You had, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. These are things that, in that world, they're normal. Um, like you said, they're not marginalized. They're not, uh, looked at as a, a, an odd thing. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's a, a great way of, uh, of, uh, of presenting these things through sci-fi. Um, I know the gals and the Bombad cast did a, uh, an episode and they talked about what ifs, but, uh, you know, sci-fi definitely is a big, what if, um, a social experiment as far as, you know, world building as far as futurism in in society, I think they definitely go hand in hand, as you said, because there's a lot of elements and a lot of concepts that are introduced in sci-fi and fantasy that, uh, you know, from time to time, uh, reality starts to catch up with that. And, uh, um, you know, we we start to to normalize things like that, things that are introduced in, in movies. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really, really great. It's really, uh, it's a fascinating stuff. Yeah. And I think that's why we see a massive failure in some of these more realistic type of TV shows and realistic type of movies. One, one that comes to mind is 13 reasons why it's almost too real that you can't remove yourself from this made up world. Uh, and you're actually planted into something that is so realistic. The viewer themselves are like, oh, this I can't handle this anymore because this literally is happening outside of my door right now. How does that affect um, your viewing of certain shows? I mean, you know, there are certain shows, obviously, that are so real that uh, you feel like, I don't know, you feel like like taking a shower after you've seen an episode because you you can definitely see that happening in the real world. And, you know, films like, you know, sci-fi and fantasy, I mean, they're used as an escape. Do you really want to experience the realness in, in sci-fi or is that line starting to get blurred? What do you guys think? I think it depends on the viewer. Um, for me, like, if sci-fi starts to trickle into more realistic things, it it brings me into a mindset of, wow, this is a possibility or wow, this is an abstract way of looking at my world right now. And it really opens my eyes to how can I better society and how can I, how can I take these societal issues that I'm seeing and how can I be one person to better the issues that I'm seeing in front of me? Whereas like with the more real stuff, um, the I need to take a shower after this, it's almost to a point where it's so sickening that I don't know a whole lot of people that feel good watching a conclusion, you know, with like sci-fi they have, usually they have a really solid conclusion that kind of leaves you feeling a little bit better. And, you know, with a happy heart, almost at that rainbow at the end, um, like, like there's hope at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. And with these more realistic shows and more realistic movies, I feel they, do they do it they do a point to make sure that you feel awful at the end of it and leave you with that and you don't want to better anything because it almost leaves you with this depression feeling in your heart and in your gut of like well if that's the if that's the case there's nothing we can do you know what i mean 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, like, as you said, it depends on the viewer uh, and how they react. What do you think? Um, oh, I had this question in my head. Let, uh, let me reformulate here. Are these concepts, are these ideas created uh, with a purpose? And that purpose would be to uh, either force the viewer to at least think about action or at least have the viewer uh, respond in, in such a strong way that, like you said, sometimes it's, it disgusts them uh, and, and makes them realize, oh, my God, this is happening right outside my door. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out in the world and make it better. Is, is, uh, do you guys have any feelings for or against these films kind of doing that nowadays? I, I think that it they've taken initiative in making it their responsibility. Um, I don't think it's something that it's necessarily been placed upon them or asked of them. They just have grabbed it and said, yeah, okay, we're going to take this and it's going to be our responsibility. I think some in some cases they're doing a good job of making it their responsibility to, you know, kind of shoot out morals and kind of, put that in the back of your mind. And I think ones that are doing it subtly are, are doing a great job. Um, but the ones that are like, oh, this is my responsibility and I'm going to be super blunt about it. They're actually doing more harm than good. Um, again, going back to the t Netflix TV series, 13 Reasons Why, I know this isn't science fiction, but it, it has that fiction base and kind of goes along what we're talking about. When the first season came out, it was glorifying suicide. And in the United States alone, we saw a spike in attempts and successful suicides because of that glorification. It was a, it was a negative response to a grasp at responsibility that those producers thought that they had. Yeah. But I mean, in to, to give a little bit of light to that, it did open up a lot of conversation. I, I am a dance teacher and I have a lot of students um, in high school that when that came out, they watched the whole series. And I, I got to have that opportunity to sit down with them and be like, this is not the answer. This is not uh, an out and kind of go through that series and explain to them how wrong that series took it and how extreme that series took it for for just the sake of shock factor. And kind of kind of to piggyback off of that, you know, you talk about how it might have not had a very positive impact. You're talking about morals and you know, responsibility of pop culture and that. I also don't really see that pop culture is responsible for presenting that message. But let me tell you why. It's gonna sound at first like I'm in support of it. But, you know, film and TV in general has a way of demystifying and distilling complex social political issues. Not only that, but when you look at the different mediums, you have cinema, TV, prolific methods of presenting ideas. And as time goes on, we have these new mediums arise thinking about, you know, the advent of the streaming service. You were just talking about Netflix. And with that, you know, your audience grows exponentially. Now, when we talk about morals and, you know, what's going on socially in the nation, every year, the president 
delivers a speech talking about the important issues facing our nation and plans for how to address it. It's the State of the Union, happens every year. The highest viewership of that over the last 20 years, 62 million. In 2020, 37.2 million tuned into that. And then you add on top of that, you know, 15, 20 million from YouTube. And some quick napping math from that <laughs> brings us to about 52 to 58 million. Now let's compare that with what we see in icons in pop culture. Think about some of the YouTube stars out there. Jenna Marbles has 3.3 billion video views and 20 million subscribers. PewDiePie has 103 million subscribers. From a cinematic perspective, in 2019, we had a total theater of attendance of about 1.2, 1.3 billion. Suffice to say, it's not a stretch to say that the scope of impact is significantly higher in pop culture than it is in, for lack of a better term, dry politics. And with that, I think the responsibility that pop culture does have is having an awareness and acknowledgement of that impact. So you wanna be a YouTube star? Put your life online, take you very far. I think these creators, both in film and in popular culture, are faced with an important question. Do you want to seize this opportunity to push a positive message into the world? Now, I don't think that every single, every all content needs to have some deeper meaning. I don't think that. At the, at the end of the day, like when that message does come across, I think it's we as the audience who are responsible for taking action. Everybody wants to be a star. You know, nowadays, especially because of what we're going through, you know, we've got, uh, and you're right, uh, films and, and, and Hollywood and, and entertainment franchises like this, you know, I, I think they're obviously out there to entertain, to make money, et cetera, et cetera, but they do have a big megaphone. They do uh, have the audience that, uh, you know, for whatever, uh, you know, result they get they have the ability to talk to the masses and they you know take upon themselves the responsibility to bring about these topics the discussion i mean uh director uh what's his name taiki waititi he just yep. did a uh a, a psa on racism and obviously we all understand his humor his style of uh of sarcasm, etc. He did it in a way that is his style, and he spoke to uh, his fans uh, and used his style of cynicism and, and humor to bring about that conversation about racism and what you can do to to feed it. And obviously, he, he used that concept tongue in cheek, but it's it's very interesting because then you've got Hollywood. Um, and I'm going to use the term because sometimes you see this term on Twitter, the Hollywood elite who create these black and white PSAs about uh, racism and social justice. And then people start, you know, uh, going down their throats and saying, you know, who are you? And obviously 
they have the platform. A lot of people are listening. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but they also they they get this bad rap from certain aspects of the fandom that uh, don't really care to listen to that stuff. I think the message of that was positive to me, and you know I'm not I may not be seeing it through the the correct lens. I'm might be blinded by my own, you know. I I mean, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm a a white a white middle class dude. <laughs> there might be aspects to this that I'm not seeing, regardless of what their motivation was. Like I still hear that message, and I still see the authenticity of that message, because at the end of the day, you know, I want to assume positive intent. Sure, I want to think that these folks have are are being authentic and want change just like the rest of us do. And I think a lot of it has to do with responsibility equals power. And it's what you do with that power that makes you a positive impact or a negative impact on the audience that you're pushing. But I'm not looking at, okay, cool, you put a great movie, but I'm not looking at the fact that you put a great movie out there. I'm looking at, okay, what did you do after that to really follow through with that change? Um, and that there's power in that responsibility that you have to kind of uphold with your image post and pre-production. Raising kids today is one of the most rewarding jobs you could ever have. It's also one of the toughest. Parents can get angry and stressed, but that doesn't mean that they can take it out on the kids by hitting them. That is not anger. That's abuse. It's interesting. It's a very slippery slope, obviously. You know, you've got a lot of things that are working against you. You've got cynicism um, that uh, this audience has uh, kind of uh, dug their nails deep into. Um, A lot of times, you know, even if the message is good, there's uh, there's this connotation of like, well, he's just doing it for clicks or, you know, they have to do it because, you know, it's part of their bottom line. But you know, there's also actors, obviously, that do you know social work, you know, behind the scenes, and they don't, um, they're they're not on Twitter all the time saying, "Hey, I build a house for poor people." Um, but if you do enough research, there's a lot of people that do that, and a lot of people that do that that don't announce it on social media and are not part of uh, the movement uh, of you know front and center. They do it because they want to, not because they have to. Yeah, exactly. I keep referring back to this Netflix uh, TV series, but I feel like it does follow through. And again, it's not science fiction, but it has followed a lot of teen social issues that have happened in the last four to six years where um, I haven't seen the last two seasons. I watched the first two felt absolutely disgusted, could not move forward with it. Um, But I did some research on this most recent season and their final season and they did this entire episode on a school shooting and then turned around spoiler alert it was the police officers making a mock school shooting with real guns with real assault rifles going through the halls shooting the school wow and i sat there reading this article feeling absolutely devastated because when i was in houston there was a school 10 minutes away from the studio I worked at that had a school shooting. And one of the students from a, com- a competitive school 
10 minutes away from the studio I worked at, lost a, lost a student in that. And I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, we could have done better about this. I see the issue that you're trying to, to announce. I see the quote unquote issues here with police brutality, the police officers going in, making a mock school shooting. And then I look and Selena Gomez isn't really doing anything. And she's the lead executive producer of this right. entire TV series. Yeah. She's going to these, you know, big social events. I, you know, I don't see her pulling back anything for the community aside from making extremely graphic and terrorizing TV series that may, you know, may trigger somebody. And I hate using that word, but may trigger somebody who might've experienced something very similar to that. And one thing that kind of reminded me of that, you know, you talk about triggering moments and Ro, one of the promotional images that, you know, we had for this show today was THX 1138. There is no danger of radiation leakage. For more enjoyment and greater efficiency, consumption is being standardized. That is a movie that really explores, you know, totalitarian government and how these authority figures are basically abusing their authority in a lot of ways, right? I need something take four red capsules. In 10 minutes, take two more. Help is on the way. THX 1138 came out in March of 1971. August of 1971 was when we had the Stanford prison experiments. If you feel you are not properly sedated, call 348-844 immediately. And that was a a real world example of one of the aspects that we see in THX 1138 and how easily these individuals fell into these brutal roles in the Stanford prison experiment. And I'm not saying that the two are correlated, but I do think it's just very interesting. Oh yeah, definitely. And that image that I posted uh, originally um, like I was telling you in the DMs, uh, it, it reminded me very much so of uh, Rodney King and what happened uh, to him with the police officers uh, surrounding him. Um, it's you know th- these are powerful images and powerful concepts. I uh, you know even back then when THX one one three eight obviously uh, many decades ago, uh, and we're still seeing these images in real life. It's it's interesting to see you know, life imitating art and and art imitating life back and forth. You take a show like Black Mirror, a sci-fi show, you know, set in the future that explores a ton, a ton of these different social concepts, much like Twilight Zone. It's its father, basically. I consider Twilight Zone to be the father of Black Mirror. One thing that's interesting in a modern world is there's an episode of Black Mirror called Archangel. Great episode directed by Jodie Foster. Basically, the premise of it is this mother has a chip inserted into her three-year-old daughter so that her daughter will never get lost again. You know, uh, noble act. You know, you don't want them to get lost. Keep an eye on them. That's fine. What that turns into comes with this additional functionality where you can actually log in 
to this platform and see everything your child sees and interfere with anything that the child might be seeing that might be upsetting or, you know, something that they wouldn't deem appropriate. So they child sees something scary, blur it out, see something more explicit. It gets blurred out and muted much like every black mirror episode. It, it, ends on a very sad note <laughs> and yeah, yeah. the mother ends up being muted by her daughter. So her daughter can't see her anymore, can't hear her anymore. And her daughter destroys the, the platform uh, device, this tablet device that allows them to control that. And what's interesting is we already have the beginnings of technology like that. That episode is called Archangel. There's a peop- that there's a piece of technology called Angel Sense out there that allows parents to listen into their children's conversations. It, it's it's just it's just unner- unnerving how close some of these things hit home. It's completely safe. Sure it is. Talking about uh, blurring the lines. I mean, you know, the world is in turmoil again. I tweeted a while back that I wish Star Wars podcast would get back to talking about Star Wars, and I got a little pushback by that, but uh, I followed up by saying that Star Wars is an escape from the turmoil. I didn't suggest, obviously, that we stop, that we stop talking about what's important socially because uh, sci-fi and fantasy has that ability to make people think outside the box, and uh, it's part of that genre. Um, getting back to, is, is there a limit to the amount of social parallels that can be injected into pop culture without, uh, disenfranchising or pissing fans off, uh, of the actual franchise? I, there was one, somebody had, uh, posted and none of our followers, but somebody had posted get, um, I don't want to hear social, um, what do you call it, uh, social issues uh, injected into my Star Wars. But I found that very interesting because from the beginning you had social issues in Star Wars. It's just that I guess we were seven years old and we didn't really pick up on them. What do you guys feel about uh, the the limit uh, of how far, you know, bringing a light to these social issues in our sci-fi uh, can go? Is there a limit? So real quick, if I, if I could just quickly address the star Wars thing. I think it, I think star Wars is a lot more subtle about it. It it's it, in some ways it's very explicit. Like in a lot of ways I feel, I see the empire as, you know, this colonial aspect of things Sure, yeah. and you know, the, everything that goes along with that. Sure. I, Especially during, you know, that time. I mean, we had the Vietnam war, we had, uh, uh, you know, even George Lucas has, had mentioned, um, you know, the empire being, uh, like you said, colonialism and, and the little guy. I mean, we see it again in Return of the Jedi where the little guy rises up, in this case, the Ewok, to defeat the evil empire. So, uh, yeah, v- very subtle. Um, but uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead, Dave. I don't think it's completely absent. I don't think it's there in the same way that not to compare franchises, but it's not there in the same explicit way that it might show up in something like Star Trek would. Excuse me, Captain Kirk. Yes, sir. Mr. Scott. The charming negress. Oh, forgive me, my dear. I know that in my time, some use that term as a description of property. 
But why should I object to that term, sir? You see, in our century, we've learned not to fear words. May I present our communications officer, Lieutenant Uhura? The foolishness of my century had me apologizing where no offense was given. We've each learned to be delighted with what we are. The Vulcans learned that centuries before we did. It is basic to the Vulcan philosophy, sir. The combination of a number of things to make existence worthwhile. Yes. Philosophy of gnome, meaning all. As far as limits go, I think that it's something that is very subjective to the plot of the movie. And I don't think volume is nearly as important as the execution. And while it's not a franchise, I think about movies like American History X and Dallas Buyers Club. Not, not sci-fi films, but I would consider these films to be very saturated in their social social messages. And in spite of that, they are, or not even in spite of, but with that saturation, I found these movies to be very effective and profound. Like these are great movies, you know, American History X addressing racism in a big way. Dallas Buyer Club handling the idea of, you know, transsexuals and homosexuality and exploring that and the AIDS culture just really explored those ideas in a very effective way. I, in my opinion, I don't think there is a limit depending on the amount of taste that a company might go about making a movie. Um, I look at movies like the hunger games or a more recent movie, the circle, um, which is one that I mean, it was a book first and came out as a movie, but really do dove deep into just how social media is really taking over and kind of dictating what we do and how we do it. Um, while the movie was not the best movie in the entire universe, it really did a great job of showing you how somebody who becomes so immersed in social media can actually lose themselves as a person and lose themselves as who they are in their identity. Um, but then we look at the other extreme being the Hunger Games. Who would have thought when those books and those movies became popular that we might be experiencing some of the similar uproar and uprising that they experienced within those books and movies. Uh, I recently saw something on Facebook where they were this person was comparing moments in Hunger Games to moments that we're experiencing with the current rioting and protesting that is going on now in our society. And it was like side-by-side -side images of you know, fire, you know, setting things on fire and rioting and, and uproar against the government and uproar against um, our governors and our, our people in power. Um, if you look super deep into the Hunger Games, you see that each district is based off of a stereotypical expectation, I guess, of a past location that it's put in. So one of the districts is located in Georgia and they pick cotton. Like, oh. There are these clear similarities um, from a past science fiction type theme that we're seeing now. So no, I, I don't. I don't think there's a limit because it needs to be said and it needs to be put into everybody's minds. But it, it needs to be tasteful at the end of the day. <laughs> Thank you.
I've got a comment here from one of our followers. We all know him as Cam Ray. Uh, you know, he was talking about uh, slavery uh, in Star Wars. Obviously, you had Anakin, um, you know, being a slave on Tatooine. You had uh, smoking uh, from the prequel trilogy there, the Death Sticks. Um, obviously, entitlement with the Jedi Order. Uh, another one that may be relevant in the next few decades as technology becomes uh, a little more advanced, especially with AI. You've got how to how to treat clones or cyborgs uh, or robots. Uh, are they less than human? Uh, therefore, not important. We are using machines more and more to do the work that humans uh, don't want to, or either you know it's obviously more dangerous to do so. Um, you've got, uh, you know, droids in Star Wars like uh, L3 and Solo, who, uh, or I'm sorry, L7. What was, what was her name? I thought uh, it was L3. L3, yeah, yeah. Um, L3 in, in Solo uh, talking about droids' rights. Um, so it's, uh, it, you know, again, just getting back to the whole, the line is being blurred. Um, take a film like The Planet of the Apes, the final scene with, obviously, spoilers, if you haven't seen it, the Statue of Liberty half buried on the beach, uh, was a very, very effective tool to help demonstrate that, you know, at the end of that film, you realize that uh, we were still on Earth and something went terribly wrong. Uh, so some recent films, are arguably, uh, they kind of beat you over the head with not-so-subtle messages. Like you said, it's just all about delivery and execution. What are your thoughts on how that style of presenting a social social message has changed? Has it changed? Has it become a little bit more over over the over the top, or 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 do you guys feel that it's okay? It's just a sign of the times, and we're changing with with that. I think it has changed for the vast majority, and I, I when I when I think of you know not not necessarily modern but you know more recent from like the 1980s i think that was really the height of effective social messaging take watchmen for example and oh, rorschach's mask i was investigating a kidnap case blair roach six-year-old girl i was young then too soft on criminals Absolutely brilliant comic packed with so many layers and messages, but specifically with Rorschach's mask, something as small as this thing that he wears over his face. It's the way that it was introduced after Joseph's enlightenment. He was ashamed of his and humanity's self-deception, what society had become, what he had become. And as a result of that, he quote, made a face that I could bear to look at in the mirror. And the very use of inkblot tests in that basically, because his mask is an inkblot test, the very use of that uh, provokes thought. Just seeing that makes you start thinking because that's what it means in real life. Sure. That's how they're designed. It was dark when the murderer got back. As dark as it gets. The message that we get in the watchman is that society sees what it wants and the 1980s were a time where there appeared to be a shifting moral compass and a lot of people turned a blind eye or ignored issues and 
it, it's all about the perception that they had of the time and they weren't seeing it for who it was so as far as like when it's not as effective i think there's two reasons you know not even with reason, but just overall time. There are two reasons attempts have become less effective. One of which is there are shows and movies where it basically treats the audience like idiots and takes the thinking completely out of it. It leans too heavily on these social justice messages at the expense of the storytelling. I think that's an important piece to that because the social justice messages are super important in a lot of these, but it's a symphony of those with relatable characters and an interesting plot. I think this is where shows like Supergirl fall flat for me. The messages that it articulates are really important, but the storytelling and execution falls flat in the later seasons. And the second reason why I think things don't work very well anymore is it's not presented in an authentic and honest way. You're, you get a lot of shows that add these social political justice elements as an afterthought, merely to check a box. And like I said before, it's not something that's entirely unique to the, to modern film and TV. I look back at aspects of movies and television from the sixties and seventies and see how they may not have aged well, particularly with the portrayal of women. You know, we've we've talked a lot about Trek and how innovative it was. But to be fair, like it, the portrayal of women in Trek was, you know, not not exactly progressive. You right. did have women on the bridge. You did have these females in positions of power, but they were very sexualized still. I still think of the miniskirts and the go-go boots. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Real quick, and then I'll let Liv jump in here, but I think that there are films today that do an outstanding job with the nuances and artistic approaches in addressing these issues. Two points about this. Number one, most recently, I think of the Invisible Man remake and how it took the H.G. Wells novel and subsequent 1933 murdery film and refined the premise in a profound way that tackled domestic abuse. And the way that it did that was just really, really well executed. And then you have what, what I would consider to be almost a pioneer in this area uh, a modern pioneer in this area, Jordan Peele in the social horror genre or social science fiction horror genre. The dude, the dude goes across a ton of genres here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. You think of get out and us on unpacking the timely issue of racism and what's going on in the United States with these mysterious invaders, um, you know, coming in to steal our jobs and kill us, you know, thinking of how people view, folks outside of the United States. Sure. So I think those, I, I think the way that he executes on those premises is absolutely breathtaking when you see it come together on a screen. 
And yeah. I think it, and I think it definitely, uh, real fast. I think it definitely also depends on his point of view. Obviously, he's a person of color. You've got uh, directors that have unique experiences with things like that that uh, some uh, other folks might not have. Absolutely, absolutely. It's you, we can only present authentically and honestly with what resonates with us and what we experience. I thought I had something more profound than that, but no. <laughs> I think I think live Mike. Hey, we don't serve their kind here. What? Your droids. They'll have to wait outside. We don't want them here. Mike's way out by the speeder. We don't want any trouble. I heartily agree with you, sir. I I don't see an issue with them being quote unquote too preachy depending again on how they present it and how tastefully they present it. Um, I think the term preachy is a subjective type of term. I think it all depends on how one views what, you know, quote unquote preachy means to them. And at the end of the day, you know, if they were, you know, if an audience member receives it as, oh, this was a really great way of addressing a social issue, then that's great. That person, you know, obtained it. But if somebody else next to them is like, oh, that was too preachy. I, you know, I think back to Wonder Woman. Um, I walked out of seeing Wonder Woman as a very almost parallel to religion and in, in Christianity. Whereas the person I was watching it with saw it and was like, yeah, I didn't see any of that. I, I, you know, I was completely oblivious to all of that. Mm. I walked out thinking, oh, that really preached the gospel into my face. Like I saw it in the person next to me, didn't see it at all. You know, it all has to do with perspective and taste. Why are all apes created equal? Some apes, it seems, are more equal than others. Ridiculous. Tell us, bright eyes. Why do men have no souls? What is the proof that a divine spark exists in the simian brain? So earlier before we started, I talked about uh, how the more things change, the more things stay the same. Uh, I've got a comment uh, from uh, one of our followers, Alexander Moyland. Uh, He says, my father introduced me to Planet of the Apes as a child, and my love for that saga runs very deep. Those films in the 70s emphasized uh, society's failings through the prism of an ape world. Yet 50 years later, society at large has emphasized how progress moves at a snail's pl- uh, at a snail's pace, if at all. And it's obviously very disturbing. You've got uh, decades uh, from uh, the time that uh, Planet of the Apes and even, you know, films earlier um, have portrayed society and we're kind of living all that stuff. We're still living that stuff to this day, uh, at this age in 2020, obviously it's hard to, um, listen to that. And it's, uh, it's very difficult to see the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, when it comes to concepts like that. So, you know, the internet is a fountain of dissenting thoughts and opinions that range from pure hate to blind love without sometimes a middle ground. And we talked a little bit about, how uh, the Red 5 Network makes us feel. We've got a lot of really great, unique voices. Um, You know, we're not an echo chamber that agrees on everything. We have uh, a lot of folks with different opinions. Um, And obviously, we're going to have a lot of folks with different opinions on on social issues as well as movies, Star Wars, and and sci-fi. 
Why is it so difficult for people in general to have these discussions responsibly? What do you guys think? We will uh, we'll end uh, our our broadcast on on that note. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I could come at this in a slightly humorous way, or come at this real serious. I'll um, take both. Okay, cool. Uh, people just need to shut up. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> like we just need to all stop talking and like let somebody else talk for once. We're so caught up in hearing our own voices and so caught up in, you know vocalizing our own opinions that we forget that there are two sides to every story and two sides to every opinion and that someone else's perception creates a different reality even if it's the same sentence being said if we just all you know just shut up and opened our ears up a little bit my mom always used to say you were given one mouth and two ears for a reason <laughs> wow that's listen, great yeah listen twice as hard as you talk right so yeah i think i think that's just that's kind of my humorous and serious one all wrapped up in one is just shut up and realize that different people's perceptions create different realities. I just came to the conclusion too the other day, I was thinking about this uh, in a moment of, uh, of uh, deep reflection. I, I realized that uh, the, biggest inter- the biggest mistake the internet gave us was uh, uh, giving us a microphone. Um, and and you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, we probably need to listen more and and talk less. No, I just want to I want to echo that sentiment. You know, people want to be heard, and we have a responsibility to hear them as humans. You know, you know, in order to really engage in these discussions effectively, for me, this requires two things. You know, it requires a a challenging and fearless examination of ourselves. And not everyone really wants to do that. It's hard. It's difficult and sometimes painful to, you know, see things for what it is. The second piece that I want to talk about is I feel like we've lost an innate curiosity, which allows us to experience empathy, the kind of empathy that keeps us open to other perspectives. That's one of the wonderful things uh, that sci-fi does. And obviously, uh, our main topic, uh, how sci-fi and fantasy puts a mirror up to our society and makes us, forces us to really examine our role in society through the lens of these fictional stories, uh, the ability to, um, you know, be able to examine our, our, ourselves and, and really take a look at uh, what we are doing right and what we are doing wrong. And for that, I think sci-fi is an excellent tool. Caesar! Caesar! This is not how it was to be. In your view, or mine? Violence prolongs hate, hate prolongs violence. By what right are you spilling blood? By the slave's right to punish his persecutors. Caesar. I, a descendant of slaves, am asking you to show humanity. But I was not born human. I know. The child of the evolved apes. Whose children shall rule the earth. For better or for worse. Do you think it could be worse? Do you think this riot will win freedom for all your kind? By tomorrow... By tomorrow it will be too late. What you have seen here today, apes on the five continents will be imitating tomorrow. With knives against guns, with kerosene cans against flamethrowers, 
Where there is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will crouch and conspire and plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall, the day when he finally and self-destructively turns his weapons against his own kind, the day of the writing in the sky, when your cities lie buried under radioactive rubble, when the sea is a dead sea and the land is a wasteland, out of which I will lead my people from their captivity and we shall build our own cities in which there will be no place for humans except to serve our ends and we shall found our own armies, our own religion, our own dynasty and that day is upon you now! Dave and Liv, Pizza and Parsecs, thank you guys so much for uh, joining me on this episode. It uh, was definitely uh, not uh, our usual, uh, you know, type of episode. I mean, uh, this uh, we really got uh, deep into a lot of these topics, and uh, thank you guys for, for joining us. Uh, Brad was a little under the weather. Uh, he was not able to join us, but uh, we still had fun. Yes, and thank you so much for having us on. It's always really fun to connect and get to chat with, you know, the fellow podcasters out there and and fellow Red Five out there. It's it's really fun. I, I enjoy it. Where can folks find you? Let's remind everybody where to find you. Absolutely. So you can find all of our links at bit.ly backslash links PNP. And we are on pretty much every podcasting platform, Pizza and Parsecs. And of course, as a member of Red Five Network, you can find us at www.redfivenetwork.com. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that is awesome. So uh, I I just want to thank uh, some of our listeners that submitted questions. We had uh, Cam Ray, Alexander Moyland, uh, Force Losers Podcast. I know Brad was on the show uh, earlier uh, in the week, and I can't wait to listen to that. Uh, and see how that turns out. Uh, I know he will make us proud. Uh, another member of the Red 5 family, the uh, Gold Squadron. That is too awesome. But if you guys want to drop us an email, feel free to drop us an email at scarefscuttlebutt at gmail.com. I am Ro signing out with Pizza and Parsecs, Dave and Liv. What's for dinner, guys? Probably pizza, <laughs> to be honest. Probably some pizza. Some pizza. I'll take it. Excellent. <laughs> One slice for me. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Hey, Star Wars fans and friends of the podcast. Don't forget to leave the guys a voicemail for a chance to be included in the discussion. Let them know what's on your mind. Call 773-234-8659. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt.